pretty bad when you come to the message and you don't have the title, but you got the points. <laughs> okay, so uh, I will admit to you on the front side, I, I consider it bad preacher style to force the lettering. I did that on one of my letters, but we'll correct it. So there are some Ds, that's the prevailing theme of our outline this morning. There's going to be Ds that we're going to work through. Uh, as we work through this, we're going to back to ver- go back to verse 11, understanding that it's been a several weeks since we've been in St. Corinthians. We've had some Christmas messages, New Year message. It's been about a month since we've been here in St. Corinthians. And as we come back to this, we're reminded that there's a lesson of forgiveness that's given in the front of this chapter. And the admonition is that we are to forgive people and we're to forgive um, with some spiritual ramifications in mind. Uh, Matter of fact, in verse eight, there was a desire of helping someone who had wandered and to confirm love to that one. And instead of of being a church that says, hey, you did wrong and we're gonna cut you off and build no path towards restoration, there was to be a confirming of love and a building a bridge to come back and walk with the Lord and, and that bridge is built under the tools of love, looking like Jesus, and that's what it's about. So, But this message of forgiveness is a message that we've dwelt on, but there was a ramification of not doing so that we touched on but didn't uh, explore it. And it's not going to be the entire message this morning, but I want to come back to verse 11 and reiterate what's given there of the danger of not forgiving. Now, verse 10, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgive it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. And what you really see there is a unity in the body that we're not going to hold grudges. We're going to work in the same platform. We're going to be forgiving people and we're going to love people. Forgive me if I've told this story (laughs) and I won't give the name over the microphone, but I'm going to say it out loud to all of you. Um, It's it's interesting to me sometimes uh, that churches have trouble. And uh, <laughs> I was reminded of a, a church this week that was having some trouble. And, uh, and it, it was amusing to me. I won't give the full name of the church, but I will say that the very first name of the church was interesting to me after hearing the church was having trouble is Agape. Now, that could be Agape. You, I'm not going to tell you who it is, okay, because it could be anyone, but I don't want to offend anybody either. But the point is... Uh, it's funny to me that we can have names in our churches and we can have understandings of what a church is supposed to be and not be that. You know what I'm saying? So we can know the right things, but when it comes to actually doing them, we can throw them out the window and act like we don't know the Bible. <laughs> and so the admonition here is to not be that. If we forgive people, there has to be a unity behind that, a disposition of love behind that. And that's what gives us that platform, and really, who's that based on? Jesus. That's why we forgive, because he forgave us, and we're to forgive in that measure. Now, what we didn't really explore as much as needed was verse 11, where we read, lest Satan should get an advantage over, an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I'm not going to park long on this, but I want to at least come back to it to warn all of us. Now, 
As we look into this new year, does anybody want to be a casualty? <laughs> does anybody want to have things that just uh, destroy your life? Uh, and would you self-inflict those things upon yourself? Well, most of us have enough sense to say we wouldn't invite unwanted trouble by ignoring uh, things we should be paying attention to. And yet in this spirit of forgiveness, the admonition is if we are not mindful to forgive, Satan then does get an advantage in a person's life. And the advantage is he changes by yielding to that spirit of non-forgiveness. We have a lot, uh, several different names we could give to that. Anybody, what name would you give to not willing, being willing to forgive? There's several things you could call it. I'm gonna call it bitterness, okay? And when we're not willing to forgive, bitterness settles in. And let me ask you, how far-reaching is bitterness when it reaches somebody's life? How pervasive is it? Does it confine itself just to a corner of a person's life or does it affect their whole disposition? So I'm gonna argue the longer it settles, the more it becomes, and this is gonna be a recurrent theme in the message today. Now, give some grace to what I'm gonna say, but it becomes a big stink. It becomes a big stink in a person's life when bitterness has settled in. Do you stink? Now, that's not a nice question, is it? <laughs> Do you stink? You can. I can. And it happens very specifically by not being willing to forgive. Now, here's the problem with forgiveness. Here's the question. Are you willing to forgive? I'm gonna call for an audible answer. Are you willing to forgive? All right. It's always easy to say yes until it's tested. Now, what tests forgiveness? You could say a lot of different things about it. I could say offense. An offense tests forgiveness. Someone doing something wrong to you tests forgiveness. It's easy to love when everything's lovely. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to go back to it. I, 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 I jokingly said in my class today, any new puppies in the church? And there were people in my class that said, yes, three new ones. And I'm like, three more puppies? <laughs> and, uh, and here's the thing. We were, Pastor Phil and I were visiting a family and we were, we were talking about their dog who didn't happen to be there because it was at the vets and, and being taken care of. And as I was hearing them talk about their dog, I was getting so warm and so fuzzy about the dog. I started thinking, hmm, yeah, huh, yeah, kind of sounds nice. But the further they kept talking, they started talking about having to stay up with the dog all night because it had diarrhea. And I'm a, I'm a fair weather puppy lover. <laughs> it's amazing how I went through, oh, I could, no, I don't want, I, no, uh, no, no. Um, and that's kind of how forgiveness is. Forgiveness is easy in concept until we're the ones that have to do it. <laughs> but here's the importance of it, folks. Listen, this is really important for fellowship. We're not isolated. I believe we have a, I love our church, I, and I know I, I'm, for those visiting, I'm pastor here, and you had hoped your pastor loves the church, but I love our church. 
But I'm not naive enough to believe that we can't have trouble. I'm not naive enough to believe that we can't uh, have Satan sift us. And it's not going to be a mystery in how he does it. I can almost guarantee every church that has trouble, there's bitterness somewhere in the run. And it really is the antithesis. I'm not even saying that. It's the opposite. (laughs) There's my college education. (laughs) It's the opposite of what love is. That's what it looks like. If anybody is called to love on this planet, it's Christians. And the danger is when we do not, for whatever excuse we want to give it, the danger is that Satan gets a foothold and he can wreck your life. Don't let it happen to you. Amen? Are we together? This isn't me really telling you. I, think, I, I hope I'm being a faithful preacher to tell you what the Bible says. So this isn't Jeff's words. This is true for Jeff as it's true for you. We cannot let non-forgiveness seep into our lives and become an issue where we are not right with one another, not right with people in the world, because Satan will use these things to get an advantage over us. Now, the advantage is we have an adversary, and that adversary does seek to defeat us. That's the idea of a foe. So the foe is looking to take you down. The foe is looking to hurt you. The foe is trying to make Christ muted in your life, that Christ would not be seen, that he would not be glorified, that you would not be serving victoriously in the relationship that you have with your Savior. He would love all those things, all those things to happen to you. So a few verses, and I'm going to be quick here. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, and 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, Janine, wherever you're at, you and I were, you referenced this earlier today. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How are you going to stand against the wiles of the devil? Of the devil? It's right there. How are you going to do it? Put on the armor of who? Look like Jesus. Amen? Walk with Jesus. Always, always, always walk with Jesus. You want to know the next right step? Follow Jesus. You got a, too big a problem in your relationships, too big a problem with doing the right thing? Uncomplicate it all. The next right thing, do what Jesus would do. All right, so put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Say it with me, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, there it is, to stand. Do not fall to the devices of the devil by knowingly doing what God says not to do. When he says forgive, forgive. Amen? All right, listen to me. Listen to me about this. Now, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very preachery on you. The very preachery on, the, on you on that is this. Do not excuse non-forgiveness in your life. Don't do it. But, 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 yeah, listen. All of us have trouble. All of us have probably been hurt by people in one fashion or another. You know what's worse? 
We probably have hurt people. Shocker there, huh? Do we need God's forgiveness? To what measure are we to forgive others? Like he forgave us, amen? So I'm just challenging us, make sure that you understand the jeopardy that's in the world. Spiritually. And that, you, and that you take the proper measures to guard your own heart. Are you with me? In this year, listen to me, in this year, it's possible for Christians to become casualties in the work of God and in their walk with God because we did not do proper vigilance in taking care of our spiritual well-being. We excuse it. And we allow it. I'm going to tell you, God's word, he means what he says, he says what he means, and it will not be changed. And here's the point. You defy God on this principle, you will not find good things coming as a result of being disobedient to God. You will not. So do not let your spiritual well-being falter because you're excusing lack of forgiveness in your life, know that Satan would destroy you if he can. First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, you know this passage, because your adversary, again, there's the opponent, the devil, as a roaring lion, what does he do? Walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, all right? You're not alone. So we, we've got to be careful about this. We've got to be careful about our relationships. It's not just about me being right with you. It's not just about you being right with me. It's actually about our walk with God. It's got to be about him. It's got to be about him. Amen? And what we have to reconcile is that we're not responsible for anybody else's behavior but our own. And you might say, well, I would do right if my husband would, or I'll do right if my wife would, or I'll do right if that person will. I'll do right. You know what? If you're waiting for somebody else to finally do right, you'll, you'll, you can die not right. There are plenty of people who die that way. Broken, fractured, messed up. You do not have to be in that condition. All you have to do is make a decision for yourself. I am going to follow my Savior for myself. You do that. You'll be surprised what God will do when you start looking like Jesus. So, the point one is that you need to be diligent about the danger that's there. That's a twofer. You get two D's in the first one. That's pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Obviously, the points are not inspired. They're just supposed to be helpful. <laughs> All right. Be diligent about the danger. Secondly, to be even more encouraging, we want to be careful about understanding the nature of difficulty. So in our next point, it comes in verses 12 and 13 of 2 Corinthians 2. Now, Paul had determined and given his life to do the work of God. 
This one who was the chiefest of sinners, he's now been saved by the grace of God, transformed, all kinds of reason for praising and, and glorifying God and praise God for what he's, he's done in Paul's life. He's surrendered. Now, when you surrender to God, everything is going to go well in your life. Just seeing if you're paying attention, okay? You and I heard a message yesterday. Just in that snippet of that guy's message. Yeah. This young preacher is basically, your, na- your business isn't successful yet. You're the, all these things, uh, kind of claiming stuff that if you walk with God, you're going to get all these, what? It's like, I don't know. Paul, that is not what he said. Listen to his heart in verses 12 and 13. He says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, now I'm going to skip a word. I'll make sense of it in a second. I'm going to skip the word and. Listen to this. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Now, the reason I skipped that word is because I want us to understand it wasn't that there was a possibility of a door being opened. There was a door opened. And the first time I read the verse, I, my mind missed the word and. What he's recognizing here is that God had opened a door to go serve. So I got a question for you. Are there opportunities to serve for Christ all over this world? Are, they, are there more opportunities than we can meet? So there's opportunity everywhere. Now, he says here uh, with confidence, when I came to do this good thing, what was the good thing that he came to do? To preach Christ's gospel. He goes on to say, and a door was opened unto me by who? So who does Paul say open the door? Is this his bright idea? No, he, he has confidence that this is coming from God that God opened the door, and if you're a surrendered servant and God gives clear direction, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You're gonna go through the door, you're gonna obey, you're gonna follow the Lord, and that would be what? A good thing. And the natural result is you would be what? Would you be happy? Would you be fulfilled? Would you feel... Um, would you feel a warmth of I've, I'm doing what God wants you to do? Now, listen, I don't want to get this wrong and mess you up. I'm going to tell you that that's not always the case. A shocker of shockers that you can decide to do the right thing and find more trouble than you had before. And then some of you start second guessing, well, why did I even decide to do that? Because I thought God was going to bless me and, and, it, and it, now it's worse than it was before. And then you start saying, well, did I do the wrong thing or is, is God trying to beat me up or is God not like me? And we start doing, we start having theology that's just, just like an unsaved person. Bad doctrine gives bad behavior, brings bad feelings. You need good doctrine. Here's the good doctrine. Sometimes when you decide to do the right thing, it's hard. Is that true? 
Okay, thank you. I need to know if I'm, if I'm off base. Say, uh-uh. <laughs> what he says right here, listen to the next verse, 13. I had no rest in my spirit. And there's a reason. Because I found not Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now here's a lot of backstory here, but Macedonia... Troas and Ephesus. These are the cities which really work from Ephesus going northwest. Northwest of Ephesus is Troas. North, further west is Macedonia. Okay? So that's your your map. It's a, a curve. So Macedonia, Troas, Ephesus. Paul was in ministry with Timothy, with Titus, And Titus had given himself willingly to go to Troas and to plan to meet Paul there because Titus was the emissary who was actually going to the Corinthian church where there had been trouble. And he was going to go get a report and to make sure of the ministry in Corinth and come back and report to Paul. But that's not all he was doing. He was also collecting a collection for the saints. And at least one commentary says that Paul's concern was probably that when Titus did not meet him where they were supposed to meet in Troas, when he did not meet him there, he couldn't exactly call him on the cell phone. He couldn't exactly email him and say, hey, where are you? Couldn't pick up a phone. There was no way to communicate. And if he was believing, and as the commentaries bear this out, if Titus was actually collecting this, uh, a collection of other saints to give to other saints, if that was happening and he doesn't show up to meet Paul where Paul thought they were going to meet, what's Paul's concern? His concern is that maybe he had been robbed, maybe he was sick, who knows what in the world could happen, but here's what you know, here's what it does to Paul, it affects his heart, his disposition. And how does it affect it? I went to Troas to preach the gospel, and upon coming there and expecting to meet Titus, not finding Titus, verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit. Paul is doing a good thing. He's working for the Lord. He's given his life to do so. It's It's a great thing. But his heart is discouraged. And why is it discouraged? It's discouraged largely, largely, and with all the meaning that's behind it, He's discouraged because there's another brother and partner in ministry who is not with him. Now, applicationally, I don't think I'm taking liberties here, but I'm going to compel you to own this. And that is the importance of partnership in ministry. You are important to the work of God. All God's people said, you are important to the work of God. One of our deacons was very kind to Pastor Phil and I yesterday. We had a meeting here and and, um, one of our deacons caught us. uh, I'm saying one of them because it was an 
I think all of them would say the same thing because we love each other. But Pastor Phil and I were in the back of the room and one of the deacons called us and said, just want you guys to know that we love you and we thank God for you both and, and went on to say nice things, which thank God for the friendship. I went on to say, recognize that we feel, in a paraphrase, recognize we feel the same way. That we're stronger in ministry because we have this partnership together. Now, some of you might think, well, this is pastors to a deacon. No, that may be true. What it really is, is brother to brother. And brother to sister in this room. You matter. I'm gonna say selfishly, you matter to me. Some of you are like, well, you don't even know me. Look, if you know Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And in the wisdom of God and the navigation of God, for whatever reason, he has pulled us together in this place this morning together. And here we are gathered, worshiping God together and hopefully accurately depicting what the scriptures say and making appropriate application based on what it said where we come to a place of real worship where we surrender to that truth and obedient to what he's called us to do. The application that I see in this is that you matter and showing up matters and being involved in ministry matters and I don't believe that all ministry happens in these walls. It happens in your daily life. It happens in what you're doing in the world when you leave this building, but it happens here too. And I cannot underscore this enough. A church by the design of God is a, co- a cooperation of people who are obedient to the Holy Spirit, trying to carry out what God has given in Scripture. And it matters, it matters that there is a gathering. It matters that we are coming together to have this administration. The decisions of how we're going to minister, what we're gonna do, how can we help, what can we do, and partnering together in that way. And it matters so much that in Paul's life, when he did not find Titus, it affected his disposition. I had no rest in my spirit. It's funny to me, and I'm taking a little longer on this than I should, but it's interesting to me. You ever been offended in a church? You ever been hurt in a church? You ever, ever, you ever I'm just gonna tell you, sometimes our tactics on, on getting healthy are not the right tactics, okay? Sometimes when people have a bad thing happen, they make a bad decision upon a bad thing. And here's, here's a decision that can be made. You know, that thing did not go the way I wanted it to in church. That person didn't treat me right. That person didn't smile at me. And that person, I don't know, whatever. Maybe, and maybe it was a legitimate, you know, they did something wrong. You know what, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not, I'm not gonna go. I am not gonna go to church. I got a question for you. Is there a problem with that? Hello? Hello? Why is there a problem with it? Why is there a problem with that disposition? Because God has said something. And what has he said about the gathering of his people? Say it loud. Don't forsake 
the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No. No. When we make those decisions as individuals, it not only hurts you, it hurts the broader work of Christ. Do we agree? Do you think Satan glories every time there's a fracture in the church? Why would we partner with the devil? Is that a fair Is that too strong? <laughs> is that fair? Why would we partner with the devil? It reminds me of the guy who's ignorant. By the way, can you be a professional and be ignorant? Can you be a professional and be ignorant? I was in basketball. I played basketball when I was a little guy. And I did not know a thing about basketball except for there was a ball that you were supposed to get. And glory, glory to be to God, one, one game, the coach accidentally let me in. <laughs> and I got the ball. It had been shot. I rebounded it. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do with that ball when you get it? I shot, man. I made it. It was the only goal, it was the only goal I made. I was jumping up and down. I, jumped, I looked over at my, my coach. I noticed other people jumping up and down. I looked over at my coach and... <laughs> I, I, I made it for the wrong team. <laughs> to my credit, I'm not a professional. And then there's a clip of this football player. I wish I remembered his name. He's a professional football player. He gets the ball and he takes off running and he scores and he did the same thing I did, but he did for the wrong team. So can you be a professional and be ignorant? You don't need a degree to be ignorant. You don't need money to be ignorant. It helps. <laughs> it helps. That's good. I like that. The point is, there's an adversary. Why would you help the other side? Especially when it hurts not just you, but others. Now, my, my point is, he said, look, there's a devil who will, will hurt you if he can. And it can be bred in the soil of non-forgiveness. But then there's also a problem and difficulty of what happens when you and I aren't partnered together with others. Now, can you walk with God alone? Yes, you can. You can walk with God alone. But did you realize that God gave many blessings and help so that you don't have to? And do you realize that God designed that we would hold each other up, that we would lift each other up, and that we would need encouragement along the way? So just because we decide to do right things doesn't mean that difficulties won't come. This is how I feel today, okay? I, I, I'm not charismatic, but I got feelings, okay? So 
I, I told the deacons yesterday, I feel like we're here. I feel like we're here as a church. I feel like there's so many great things are happening. I feel, I feel like we're so blessed. When you feel like that, what's the other side of that coin? Are you as carnal as I am that say, I wonder what's coming? <laughs> oh boy, I wonder what's coming. Start borrowing tomorrow's unknown trouble and live as if it's happening now. My point is, just because we decide to do the right thing doesn't mean the difficulty won't come, but here's the point. The difficulty in particular is that there was another believer that wasn't there that Paul wanted encouragement from. Now, why should you be here? You should be here so you can worship God. I'm gonna give you another reason to be here. Other people need your encouragement. Is that fair? Okay. I have 17 Ds, that's two. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. The next ones are found in verses, we've gone through 12 and 13. The next one's found in verse 14, and this is where I had to take some liberties because I couldn't find a D word for victorious. So I, I, I gave this decidedly victorious. Okay, pretty weak, I know. All right, why do I say victorious? Well, number three, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in who? And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, <laughs> I don't know what to do. I, I honestly, I don't know what to do right now. It's 1159. I don't know what to do. It's, uh, see, it says 12 o'clock. Because this is a transition here where this, I don't want to give this as a slight thing, but it's going to take a minute. <laughs> All right. Some so of you said, keep going. Some said, preaching. Others are like, shh. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, so you're thinking, we were that close to being done. <laughs> that close. <laughs> oh. The worst thing that could happen up here is I get tickled about myself. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Decidedly victorious. Well, thanks be to God, which causes us to do what? Triumph in Christ. All right, listen, folks. We have got to have correct biblical thinking between these ears. You can go through life with a sour disposition. You can go through life with a defeated disposition. You can go through life where your political party's not winning and you're happy, or you're only gonna be happy when your political party wins. And why would you be happy then? I don't know. But you can go through life with these dispositions. I'm not gonna be happy unless I get my way in everything. God has called us to be victorious and made us victors in him. That is his declaration. And I want, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I sound like a coach right now. You need to start acting like a winner because you are. 
In Christ, you are a winner. In Christ, you've not just won, you've gloriously won. You are far, you hear that, you hear that, I know it by Dave Ramsey, because if you've heard of him, he knows something about money, whatever. Um, but some people ask him, how are you doing? I think his phrase is, better than I deserve. What about you? How about gloriously better than we deserve? And I, it doesn't mean that life doesn't have its problems for you. I know it does, but are you really at a place where you need to be just unraveled in life, where there's no joy and there's a cloud everywhere you go and you're oppressed everywhere you go? Is that really where you need to be because bad things have happened? I was reading in Acts and, and as I was listening about Paul and Silas, now I don't know if I got it quite right. I went and listened to it again and read it again. Now. Paul and Silas, they were preaching Christ and when they are brought under authority and rebuked for it, if I'm remembering it correctly, now they were, what happened to them? You remember what happened? They were beaten and then what? But there's something else that happens there before they were beaten. Did you know that? They were stripped. Now you go back and you find out if I'm telling it right, but I went back and I, 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 I looked at it again to make sure I got it right. And the idea was that they were stripped so they could be beaten well and have stripes. And then at midnight, what do they do? That is the starkest transition you'll see. They are beaten and at midnight, they sing. They praised God. While their wounds are fresh. Listen. You need to act like a winner because you are in Christ and it's Christ who makes you that. It's Christ who gives you the strength to be that. It's Christ who's giving you the reason to know that you're victorious. It's Christ who's the reason that you can have joy. It's Christ who's the reason that you can have hope. It's Christ that is the reason you can have an encouragement and not just for today, but what he's got for you in the future. And I'm so thankful that yes, I have an inheritance incorruptible, sealed forever with the Lord, but I'm thankful that I have a God who walks with me right now. Right now, we have got to deal with this. And I'm not saying that discouraging things won't happen. I can be a hypocrite when bad things happen. It's not always my knee jerk. It takes me a minute to get there at least. When bad things happen, I don't just jump down and say, hey, praise God a bad thing happened. But I do know the Holy Spirit works at the initiation of that bad thing to draw me to rejoicing in, a, in the Christ who loves me and makes me a victor. We got some challenges in front of us in this year. But you're not a loser. And I'm not just being a, a hip preacher by saying you're a winner. I think that is doctrinally sound. And I'm not being open-gated about, about you're a winner and just proclaim yourself a winner. We, we win in Christ because we're victorious in him and that changes my thinking. It changes my disposition. And do I need the help of the Holy Spirit to remember that? Do I cry? Yes. Do I get discouraged? Yes. And does the Holy Spirit minister to me? Yes. But who else ministers to me? You do.
It matters. It matters. You are decidedly victorious. If you don't believe it, Romans 8, 36 to 37, as it is written, listen to the contrast, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted, if I remember it, as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So what's the disposition of the scriptures? Did he call you a winner there? No, he called you more than a winner. He says you're more than conquerors. But it's always through a person. You're not a, uh, yeah. There's so much here, we could sit on this for months. (sighs) Monty, write another book. (laughs) Fast Phil, write another book. You write a book. I'm stopping because there's more in these next verses that if I give it now, we will be skipping the rock across the surface and I think we need to park here. And it's gonna come back to this phrase I gave earlier. This one little word about stink. So we're going to talk about that later. And if that isn't a teaser, to be back next, next week. What's he going to talk about? Stink. <laughs> That's a stinking preacher. Okay, so. I'm going to stop before we get any amens on those things. So I love you folks. I really mean it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray.